Luke chapter number six. Luke chapter number six is where we'll be. And uh, we've been in a, a series that I've entitled Refocus. And our desire is to get rid of a lot of the things that cloud our vision and through scripture, be able to see Jesus more clearly. See, see him for who he is, for what he was like, the, the truth about what he taught, those kind of things. Because honestly, uh, traditions and religion and preferences and uh, misunderstandings, all of these different things have crept into Christianity and have kind of remade Jesus a little bit. It's kind of clouded the picture of who he really is. It's, it's funny how we try to remake Jesus in our own image, right? The way that we want him to be. And so if we kind of just strip all those things away and through scripture, we can see him for who he really is. Uh, last week, we saw that Jesus was facing a lot of circumstances and pressures that I think we can all relate to. He had decisions to make. There were uh, oppositions against him. Uh, he had things that he needed to be doing, uh, important things that he needed to be saying, and he was extremely busy, constantly uh, thronged by crowds and everything, but still he prioritized getting aside from all of that and going to his Father in prayer. And our challenge for last week is if Jesus needed to pray, so do we. And we need to see the importance of prayer in our lives. We saw that prayer proclaims our insufficiency that it puts our focus on God, that it purges our sin and our guilt. It purifies our heart and our motive. When we start getting serious with God and talking to him, it's amazing how our perspective changes. And it also produces results. The uh, uh, effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So it produces results. And so if Jesus needs to pray, we do too. And so today we're going to be continuing through the narrative of Scripture, and Jesus is following the path that his Father has laid out for him. And there was opposition, but there was also a multitude of disciples. There were a lot of people who were following him, and if we're not careful, we just focus on the ones that were opposing him and the ones that was against him. We talked about the Pharisees and the different ones, but there were a lot of people that were hungering and thirsting after him, desiring the truth, wanting some hope, Right? And so out of that multitude of disciples, uh, Jesus had chosen the 12 and called them apostles or sent ones. They were going to be the ones that would represent him. They were the ones that were going to have a special place in his ministry. They were going to continue what he was doing after he was gone, and they were going to be the ones who would turn the world upside down with the gospel. And so he chose them out of this uh, group, this multitude, and for them to be able to do this, Jesus had to challenge uh, some things about them. He had to uh, challenge some of their perceptions. He had to challenge their way of thinking. He had to realign them with himself, right? And so it took a good while of him discipling his disciples, of him discipling these apostles, so that they were able to see things more clearly through his eyes and through his perspective, and in our passage today, Jesus is going to teach them a lesson or preach a message to them that challenged everything that they thought that they knew. And so as they were uh, there following after him, they had their plans, they had their expectations, uh, they knew what they wanted in a Messiah, they knew what they desired as human beings, right, and as Jewish human beings, but 
Jesus' message is going to go against the grain of all of those things. It's going to highlight how corrupt and how out of tune the world is with the way that God designed it and with the way that he desired for it to function. And so that's what I was going to highlight today. It's going to kind of set their perspective right. And we're going to see that the Christian life is upside-down living. Okay? And so that's our, our thought for today. Christian life is upside-down living. So Luke chapter number 6, verse number 20. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them which curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take uh, thy, thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as you would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together. And running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they, know, shall they both not fall in the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, with, with this passage that's before us today, truly it is a, a difficult passage for us, Lord, because it goes against our, our thinking, the world's way of operating, Lord. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would work in our hearts and our lives today, enlighten our minds and help us to understand your word. And Lord, I just pray that you guide and help me to proclaim your word, Lord, that uh, that you would work in the, the hearts and lives of those who hear it and do that which is needed today. Lord, if there's one here today that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would call upon you, that they put their faith and trust in you and allow you to forgive their sins and to save their soul. 
And Lord, if there's one who's drifting away, one who's discouraged, Lord, I pray, Lord, you minister to them as well and draw them to you. We thank you so much for all that you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In this passage, it presents to us quite a challenge because for us, it goes against the, our perspective, the way that we think, the way that the world works. Uh, it tells us even more so the, the necessity of prayer, like we were looking at in the last week's message, because here's the thing, you're not going to be able to live this way by your own desires, your own wishes, your own whims. It's going to take the power of God in your life to be able to align with this message of Jesus preaching. And I, I venture to say that you're never going to perfect it on this side of heaven. But what the Lord is doing here is he is presenting the way that things should be, the way that God desires things to work, that without the influence of sin, without the wickedness of man's heart, without the corruption that is set in within creation, this is how things were designed to have worked. And so it is a, a, a maybe a picture of perfection, and it's not something that we are maybe going to achieve, but something we should strive for. And so as we look at this passage, as I said, it goes against how the world operates. It goes against our nature. It goes against our heart. It works against the way that our mind goes. It completely flips the narrative of humanity. Okay? It's upside down. And we're going to see several different ways that it is upside down here. I can imagine the apostles' faces as they were hearing this as Jesus was proclaiming it, and he's saying, hold on for a sec, or they're saying, hold on for just a second. This isn't the way that we do things. Uh, this isn't the way that life is supposed to go. This isn't the way that the Messiah is supposed to be speaking, because they were expecting for him to conquer their enemies, not to love them, right? There's a big difference. And so in this uh, upside-down living that Jesus is calling them to, if the disciples are to experience his blessings upon them, if they are to carry forth this ministry that he has for them, if they are to represent him to the world, they're going to have to think like he does, view things the way that he views them. And so he is realigning their view. He's realigning their perspective with his. And as we go down through this list and through all these verses, it shows us how far short that we come, right? And so as we look at this, the first thing that I want to bring out is the upside-down attitudes. Upside-down attitudes. Blessed are you whenever you're poor, and woe unto you that are rich. Now, if you're poor in here today, you're like, hey, uh, okay, but I don't feel blessed. Right? This goes against conventional wisdom. This goes against the way that we think of things. It says, uh, blessed are you whenever you are poor, whenever you are hungry, whenever you are weeping, whenever you are hated. Hold on a second, Jesus, where are you going with all this? How in the world am I blessed? By the way, the word blessed means happy. Happy are you when you are poor, when you're hungry, whenever you are hated and marginalized and all these things. Blessed are you. And woe unto the rich, to the filled, to the laughing, to the like. Woe unto you. And as I said, it goes completely against our attitudes that we have, the way that the world works today. In the day that Jesus walked the earth, and really with every, every generation that's existed, there has been this thought, okay, that if I have an abundance, 
if my bank account is full, if my belly is full, if I am happy and I'm joyful and I'm healthy and I'm well-liked, then I must be doing something right. God must be smiling down on me. He must be happy with me, right? We didn't look through scripture. We find that uh, that mentality existing in many places. We've looked through the book of Job and Job was condemned by his friends because Job's life was falling apart. And what did they blame his life falling apart on? You're sinful. You're wicked. You've done something wrong. If you had done something right, if you were living right, then these kind of things wouldn't happen to you. And that's prevalent in many places throughout the world and many times in society. This has been a, pre a prevalent thought. But if that is true, then what happens whenever you lack? What happens whenever your needs aren't being met, when your bank account is not full, whenever you are discouraged, whenever you are depressed, you don't feel like laughing, whenever people don't like you, when relationships become strained and start falling apart, what conclusion must you come to? The same one as Job's friends, right? And so you say, okay, well, things aren't going so well for me. God must be mad at me. Or you end up getting mad at God, right? How could God do this to me? And so this ends up being a, a, an example of the world's way of thinking, of human's natural bent, of the way that we see things. And so what would have happened to the disciples if they would have continued thinking this way? They would have been very effective, would they? Because what was the disciples' experience or the apostles' experience? Opposition. Poverty. Mourning and weeping, right? Distress. They weren't well liked. G or not Jesus. Paul said, the more that I love, the less that I am loved, right? And that was Paul's experience. And so if the disciples continue looking at things the world's way, if they continued having the world's perspective, they would have drew the conclusion that they were going against God and that God wasn't with them and that God didn't love them and they were doing something wrong. And that's the same thing that goes on in our lives today whenever we get the world's perspective instead of the instead of God's, whenever our attitude toward the things of the world is the same as the world's instead of God's. And so we need a change of perspective. You look, for instance, and I, I hate to always pick on these guys, but you look at the, the prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity gospel is being preached widely all over the world today, that if you have enough faith, if you are obedient enough, if you're doing a, enough of the right things, then all of these things are going to be multiplied to you. You're going to be well-liked. You're going to get popular. You're going to get rich. Life is going to be grand. But that is not what the Bible lays out for us. It's never been mankind's true experience, even though we keep falling back in these wrong attitudes, these wrong thought processes. So Jesus sought to turn this upside down. He had to, to accept that Jesus was in control, that, uh, that he was going to be the one that was going to be setting the pattern, that they needed to follow after him. Because what they had expected, what the disciples had desired, is that Jesus was going to come down, set up his kingdom. They were going to be at the right hand and on the left, right? They were going to rule and they were going to reign with him. It was going to cause them to prosper. They were going to gain in power. Everyone was going to come and bow at their feet. And that is not what happened. Jesus had to prepare them for this. He had to change their perspective, their attitudes. 
You turn their thinking upside down. They were going to be poor. They were going to be hungry. They were going to be weeping. They were going to be hated. But they were going to be blessed. Right? That's a big change. When you say that the disciples, the apostles, they were blessed, with the exception of Judas, they were blessed without all of the things that the world seeks after. And so he, he shines a bit of a light on the reasoning behind this here and throughout Scripture. Because think about it. Blessed are the poor, woe unto the rich. He says in places in Scripture that it is harder for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. He tells us that those who desire, who spend their life, whose focus is upon attaining riches, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We find the story of the rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and he says, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And through that, that exchange, we find that his God was his gold, that he was dependent upon his riches, that he valued his riches over the Son of God. Because if he truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, then he would be willing to give up all and follow him, right? It wasn't a requirement for all people, but Jesus said, sell all that you have and become my disciple, follow me. He says, no, he went away sorrowful because he had great riches. So why is it woe unto the riches? Riches are a hindrance. Not always. I'm not saying that just because someone has things that there's anything wrong with them or that they can't be a Christian or that God's unhappy with them. But riches tend to be a hindrance. If your focus is upon wealth, if your focus is upon what you have, if your life's ambition and your life's mission is to attain, if you fall into uh, society's materialistic way of looking at things, you're going to have trouble following the Lord, right? Riches become a hurdle. You find that throughout all the disciples, and not just through the 12, but through all those who would follow Jesus, the majority of those who became Jesus' disciples were not the wealthy. Yes, you have the Joseph of Arimathea. I believe maybe Nicodemus, he, he was a wealthy man. He followed along. The rich young ruler, maybe eventually he came around. I don't know. But by and large, most of the ones who were following Jesus were the poor, the outcast, the rejects of society, right? And the ones who had it all on this earth lost it all in the world to come. Bible says, what is a man profit if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul? Why is it woe unto the rich? Because if riches is your God, you're never going to find the true God. If you are laboring to become rich, you are going to bypass God and the things of God. If you have everything that you need, you're never going to see that you need God. We look in uh, Revelation chapter 3, I believe it's verse 17. There is a warning to the church at Laodicea, and I believe that pictures the age in which we live in today, that they said we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, including God. And the response that God has for them is you don't realize, but you are miserable and blind and poor and naked. And that is the state of the rich today. Those who are rich and increased with goods have need of nothing, including God. Woe unto them, but blessed are the poor because they are willing to search, God, search for God. 
They are seeking for something to satisfy. That brings us into the second thing with those who are hungry. They have an appetite that's not being fulfilled, right? God has given us many different appetites, and those appetites tell us that God is also, because he is a good God, he has given something to fulfill every one of those appetites. Could you imagine how how awful it would be if you had an appetite that could not be satisfied? If God had given an appetite, but he never gave the the fix for that, that there was always something lacking. But we serve a good God. He doesn't do that. For every appetite he gives, he also gives what fulfills, what satisfies that appetite. Mankind is good at perverting those appetites, using the things that God has given in wrong ways, satisfying in the wrong ways, of seeking to fulfill in the wrong ways. We're good at doing that, right? But back on track here, whenever Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger, in other passages he says, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They have an appetite for something, and it's not being fulfilled in this world. Blessed are they because they're going to look to God for the solution, for the fix, for the, fulfilling that appetite they have. Whether it be for physical food or for the righteousness that we talk about here, they are saying there is an appetite that God has given me, and it's not being fulfilled in this world. It's not, it's not cutting it here. I'm needing something else. They are searching. They are seeking after God. But for those who are full, those who are satisfied, they say, I don't need God. I've got everything that I need here. You ever hear anyone say that? I've got everything I need. Why would I need God? You realize that in the place that we live today, in Europe in 2023, we are in a wealthy area. We're in a wealthy place. Most of us, by uh, global standards, are wealthy. I was looking up the, the statistics, and statistics are a funny thing. They can be skewed in many different ways. But it was said that for about 34000 a year, you'd be considered worldwide in the top 1% of wage earners. 34000 a year. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? But it says that whenever we are filled, whenever we are full, whenever we are satisfied, satiated with the things of this world, then we're going to have no hunger or thirst for the things of God and for what he has to offer. So woe unto those that are satisfied in this world because you're never going to be looking outside of it for the one that created it, for the one that was meant to fulfill your needs, your desires, and the hunger and thirst that he put in in your heart. Why is it that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Because there is an appetite within every man, every woman, every boy, every girl for God, and only he can fill it. But whenever you are satisfied with the things of this world, you are not going to look to him. And so as we continue through this, and we find the third thing that he said here was about those who mourn and those who laugh. Those who mourn and those who laugh. Is Jesus saying whenever he says, blessed are those who weep? Doesn't mean that we are to pursue a life of asceticism. We do away with anything that makes us happy or joyful. There are those who've tried that over time. There are those who would not let anything in that entertained or anything that produced joy. Thought that to cause ourselves to suffer and to be in pain, somehow that was a virtue of some sort. But what Jesus is telling us here is for us to be 
content, for us to be unaffected, for us to be able to enjoy the sin and the wickedness of this life and not to have sin to grieve us, not to be concerned about sin anymore, not to be mourning or weeping or moved because of the condition that we were, that we live in anymore. That is whenever he's talking about those who are laughing in this life. Because you look at entertainment, you look at the world around us, people are laughing at the sin. They are entertained by the sin. They are enjoying the sin. They are not bothered by the sin. But if you're seeking to follow God, if you're seeing things through his perspective, then you are going to mourn for the wickedness that's in this world. You're going to mourn for the sin that's in this world. Does that mean that you don't enjoy the good things that he has created, the good things in your life? No, by all means, there's plenty of passages in Scripture that tell us uh, Mary heart doeth good like a medicine, right? Talks about laughter. It talks about joy. And we should have joy. We should have laughter, but not at the wicked. We should be moved by the things that are wicked. We should be moved to weeping. We should be moved toward prayer, should we not? There is a coldness, a deadness in this world today, in the church today, to where these things no longer bother us. And not only does it not bother us in society, it starts creeping into our lives and it ceases to bother us. Right? Why does he say, blessed are those who mourn? It's because their heart is in the same vein that God's is, that it's beating the same way that his is. It is troubled by the same things that he is. And we look around the world and we realize, yes, there's lots of great things in this world, but unfortunately it is corrupted. Unfortunately it's sinful. And I can't wait until God makes all things right. We're longing for righteousness. We're hungering for it. We're thirsting for it. We are uh, mourning and weeping over the things that destroy lives, that cause all those problems and all the corruption in the society that we have today, we are just not fulfilled. And so we are looking to Jesus as our only solution, as our only hope. And it says, blessed are they who do so. He talks about, blessed are you whenever men shall hate you. We love to be accepted, don't we? We want everybody to like us. We want to kind of tiptoe. We want to walk that fine line so that no one's mad at us, no one's upset. Everything's grand, right? Especially if you're a people pleaser. Some people couldn't care less, but especially if you're a people pleaser, right? And so whenever we read this is, blessed are ye when men shall hate you. That doesn't necessarily resonate with us. We don't want to be hated. But we find that Jesus was hated. Was he hated because of the evil that he'd done? He had done no evil. He had went about doing good. He loved all men. He spoke the truth. He walked according to the will of God. He did always the things that pleased the Father. And he was hated of men because they loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil and his goodness reproved it. Right? And so if all men love you, even those that hate God, you're doing something wrong. If you're living in such a way that it never uh, pricks against society, even as we've been looking through the book of Acts, time and again, as they are teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, it says that those who were against them, those who were against Christ, were cut to the heart. Right? 
And so for us living in this world today, if you are going to live by Christian principles, if you are going to speak the truth in love, if you are going to live by the way that God says to live, if you are going to obey his word, then there are going to be people who won't like you. And we've got to be okay with that. And so he says, blessed are you whenever men hate you. But it says up here in verse number 22, for the son of man's sake. Now, if they hate you because you're a jerk, that's a different story. Right? If they hate you because you have given them reason and you deserve to be hated, that's a different story. But if you have lived for the Son of God, if you have lived according to his precepts and principles, and they hate you for it, blessed are you. You're following in Jesus' footsteps. You're doing what he did. You are living the way that he lived, and you're receiving the same treatment that he received. Don't be surprised by it. You're doing something right. And so whenever we look at these attitudes that we have, blessed are those who are poor, who are hungry, who are weeping, who are hated. Why? Because our eyes will be turned up on Christ. He will be our hope. He will be our desire. He will be the one that we are seeking to please. And therein is the blessings. Because as long as you are stuck in this world, your attention and your affections are on this world, you are not going to be following him. You're not going to be seeking him. You are not going to be laying up riches in heaven. You are not going to be finding blessings on this earth. You are not going to be fulfilling his desire for you here because you are so stuck in this world below. So he had to pull the disciples' attitudes toward him. He had to see have them look at things the way that he looked at it so that they would be able to do what he asked for them to do. And so the second thing that we find in this is not only did they have upside-down attitudes, they had upside-down actions. You realize that what you believe affects what you do. What you believe determines what you do. Okay? And some people believe some weird stuff. You ever see someone who believes something really strange and it causes them to act really strange? We can go back over the past couple of years with COVID and all the fears and all the worries and stuff with that, and their beliefs affected their actions, right? If you believed that COVID was as bad as what they were saying it was, you isolated yourself and you were afraid to, to go out, you sneezed and you are afraid of your own self, right? Isn't that the way it worked? If you believed that it was a, a lie and it was a bunch of conspiracy, that you went about your life and you probably got sick. But anyway, your belief affected... Your actions, and I hate to use COVID as an example because, you know, I want to forget about that. But anyway, in our lives, what we believe affects our actions. And so if after we look at all these attitudes and if we believe that we are blessed whenever men hate us, if we believe that we are blessed whenever the things of this world aren't going our way because it sears the affections that we have for this world and it puts them where they're supposed to be and puts our affections on our Lord and Savior, whenever it puts our affections and our focus on eternity, then we're going to be living differently. We're going to be acting differently. And so as we look in this passage from uh, verse 27 through verse 38, I'm not going to read it again, but in 27 through 38, just a few of them, he says, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Pray for them that, w- that despitefully use you. 
If someone smites you on the one cheek, turn the other cheek. Let me ask you this. Do any of you all do this naturally? Is this your first reaction? Is this the way that you feel like doing? Bless those that curse you. Whenever you're driving in traffic and you get spoken to in sign language, what's your response? Bless you. You get told off. I pray for you. Right? Our pride comes out. We want to defend ourselves. We want our point to be known. We are offended because someone doesn't like us. We're offended because someone doesn't approve of us. That someone doesn't accept us. Someone says something bad about us. Is that what happens in our pride? So if we go back to the attitudes that we were looking at earlier, people aren't going to like you. If you cut them off in traffic, you deserved it. Okay? Sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, but people aren't going to like you. Things aren't always going to go your way. Your hope is not on this earth. Things aren't about your bank account. Things aren't about uh, all of these things that we put such a high premium on. And we start seeing things that way, then are we going to be as offended whenever things don't go our way? We're going to lose hope whenever we are struggling a little bit, whenever things are being difficult, whenever we're having these problems that arise in our lives. Are we going to fall down in despair? Are we going to shrink back? Are we going to have the problems that we generally have whenever our perspective is changed, when our attitude is right? It's going to push us closer to God, isn't it? Whenever Jesus is the main one that we are seeking to please, whenever heaven is our goal, whenever this world is not our home, then we can have a love for these people like he has. Whenever we realize that we have sinned against God more than anyone has ever sinned against us, and he has loved us and forgiven us. Whenever we realize that our debt to God was greater than any debt anyone ever owes us, it's going to change our perspective, isn't it? Going to change the way that we treat other people. Whenever we see every person that we come in contact with as a person that God loves, a person for which Jesus died for, someone who needs to hear the gospel and needs to be saved, and that we hope goes to heaven, then it's a little harder for us to return the same wickedness to them that they give to us, right? Something I've challenged my kids with all along as they've been growing up, I've told them the, the old adage, that hurting people hurt people. You ever heard that? Hurting people hurt people. You realize that generally whenever people are giving out that kind of mess to you, it's not a problem with you, it's a problem with them. And one of the problems with them is that they need Jesus. And whenever we see things from that perspective, whenever our attitudes are aligned with Jesus, then we are going to pray for them. What did Jesus say about the ones who were nailing him on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know what they do. When he stood before Pilate, he was actually witnessing to Pilate. Right? Whenever Judas came to him to betray him, how did he greet Judas? Judas kissed him, but he greeted him friend. Just an interesting side note on that one. Just shortly before that, he had referred to Peter as Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan, right? 
It's a different perspective, isn't it? And so whenever we start seeing things the way that Jesus sees them, whenever we have attitudes toward this world, toward people, and toward things like Jesus does, it turns all of our actions and our thinking upside down. We can be gracious in how we treat people, right? When we, receive, when we realize the grace that we have received, we can bestow that grace on others, even when they don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it, Right? And not only does it talk about being gracious to others, having mercy toward others, showing love toward others, forgiving others, it also talks about generosity, about giving. Because remember how it talked about riches and about being full? If your goal and your desire on this earth is to be full and is to be rich, what ends up happening? You hang on to it with all that you have. You can't be, excuse me, you become greedy, you become selfish and self-centered. You hold on to it with both hands because this is mine and I'm not letting it go. But whenever you come into focus with what God is trying to do in our lives, whenever you see the truth about who he is and what he does, you realize that you are simply a steward. You are being entrusted with things that God has given you, that God has blessed you with in order for you to glorify him and to be a witness for him, right? Whenever you realize that God owns all things, that he loves you, that he's able to provide, that he is able to make all things abound into your account, whenever you realize that, I don't have to hold on to things near as tight. Whenever people are coming around, whenever there is needs, whenever they are at risk of doing me wrong or of cheating me or what, I don't have to take that so personally. Whenever there are needs that come up, I don't have to hang on to my stuff so tightly because this is of God. And if I give it for his purpose and for his glory, he is able to provide for all of my needs, right? Jesus says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he will add all of these things. If you go through that passage and see what he's talking about, it's all the things that the Gentiles seek after, all the things that the world is after, all the things that lost men are expending their entire life and all of their energy on he says, if you will focus on the things of God, God will take care of the things of this world. Complete different perspective on it. Complete different attitude, and it results in complete different actions. If you get a hold of who God is and what he does, what his plan is for you, you're going to behave differently. The third thing that I find here is an upside-down allegiance. So upside-down attitude upside-down actions, upside-down allegiance. An allegiance is who you're connected to, who you're following, who's in charge, right? And so who are you following? Whose side are you on? Whenever we look here in verse number 39, he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall he not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. You want to know simply what he's saying there? You're never going to rise above the one you're following. You're never going to exceed or excel past the one that you're following. And so if you pay attention who you're following, what you're following, what's important to you, you're never going to exceed that. You're never going to go past that. If the blind's leading the blind, if you're following someone blind, you're going to end up in the ditch with them, right? We continue down through this passage. He talks about a good tree bringing 
not forth corrupt fruit, and a corrupt tree not bringing forth good fruit. If you're looking around at all the fruit that's hanging around you and that's all rotten, yours is going to be too. Does that make sense? And so we have to be paying attention to where our allegiance is, who we're allied with, who we're following. And so you're not going to exceed your teacher. Your fruit is not going to be better than the tree that you're growing on. And if the world is what you're chasing, don't be surprised whenever you're in the same ditch the rest of the world's in. If you're surrounded, as I said, by rotten fruit, you're on the wrong tree. And if what's coming from your life and from your mouth and from your heart is not the same thing that came from Jesus, there is a problem. Right? You have the wrong allegiance. You're following the wrong God. We find how important obedience is. In verse number 46, it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Lord means master. It means it's the one that I'm following. He says, how can you claim to be following me when you're not following me? That's simple enough, isn't it? Where's your allegiance at? Who are you following? What's, what's your affections on? Because it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what it accepts. It doesn't matter what it promotes. We need to make sure that we are following Jesus. We need to get our attitudes, our affections, our affiliations straight with him. And be more concerned about what he thinks than what they think. Be more concerned about what his desire is and what he wants us to have than what the world says that we should be desiring and what we should have. Complete different way of thinking. It's going to seem strange and upside down to this world, but I will tell you, the Lord pays better. He satisfies better. The joy that lies ahead is worth the sorrow we go through now. And I would much rather have the praises of God. I'd much rather hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, than to have all the praises and accolades of this world. There's no comparison. I would much rather have him. I'd much rather follow him. I'd much rather my allegiance be to him. The world will look at us and think that we're crazy because we are not achieving the things that we they, they think we should be achieving. They'll say, you're still following God even though he let this happen to you. You're still following God even though this hasn't happened. If you would just quit following him and do the things that we're doing, look at the things that you could have. It doesn't make any sense that you are still following him. One day it will. The world looks on us as fools, but one day it will all be made plain. One day we will not be the fools, but we will be glad for every single thing that we have went through. We will be glad that our allegiance was to Christ. We'll be glad that we followed him. We'll be glad that we served him. We'll be glad that we set at premium and at importance the things that he did. And I will tell you a million years from now, you're not going to regret not having more money, not having more friends in this world. You're not going to regret these things that the world says is so important now that you may miss out on following the Lord. But I guarantee you they're going to have some regrets. I guarantee they will. And I'm not taking any satisfaction in that. But I want us to have the right attitude. I want us to see the right things as being important. But the last thing I want to say here, 
is that none of this that we're talking about, this, this, this upside-down life, this isn't for us to earn salvation. This isn't for us to keep salvation. This isn't for us to add to salvation. It's not in any way whatsoever to try to impress God or to get Him on our side. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, what I'm saying today, it's not for you. It's not for you to say, okay, well, if I start loving my enemy, if I start uh, going away from this uh, materialistic mindset and, and I start hating riches and instead I, I seek to be impoverished and all these things, that God's going to love me or he's going to accept me. That's not what any of this is about. Because here's the thing, the only way to salvation, the only way to forgiveness, the only way to heaven is through and by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he died upon the cross for the sins of whosoever will, that they can be forgiven, that they can be saved, they can be his for all eternity. He paid the penalty, he paid the price, and none of it is dependent upon your attitudes, upon your actions, or even upon your allegiance. It is upon your faith in what he has done for you. And so if you know you're a sinner and you know that he died on your behalf and you will put your faith and trust in him to forgive your sins and save your soul, then that assures you that heaven will be your home. But what we're looking at today for those who are saved here today, this is how to tune your heart with the heart of God. This is how to live the life that he would have you to live, to experience a blessed life, a life in his will, a life according to his purpose and his plan and to receive rewards in eternity. Whenever you align your heart with Jesus, he is going to bless and reward you for serving him, for following him. That's it. This is to tune our hearts to him. This is for us to see how things are meant to be and for us to be in the place where we are receiving spiritual blessings, spiritual benefits, rather than the riches of this world. And so for everyone here today, I challenge you, realign your focus, realign your, your vision here, your values on what God says is important because this world will never satisfy, all the riches will never fulfill, all of the accolades and the praises are never going to do it. You can laugh your way all the way through and you're still going to miss out on the blessings of God. Seek you first, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. He's going to take care of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. Lord, we thank you for this passage, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would just uh, uh, make sense out of the things that I've said in the, the ears and the hearts of each person here. I pray, Lord, that something has been helpful and beneficial to them, Lord. I just pray that you would uh, work in their hearts and lives, that they can see how important it is uh, to see things through the lens of your word, Lord, that they would uh, value the things that you value, Lord, that they would uh, separate, Lord, from these these worldly mindsets and ideas, Lord. And, and Lord, I just pray that they would set their focus on you instead. If there's anyone here that's, that's lost this morning, I pray, Lord, that uh, in spite of this being mostly geared toward those who are saved, I pray, Lord, that you would do a work in their heart, help them to see their need for salvation, Lord, and that they would put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.